Let's have a word of prayer. We'll read verses 1 through 4 as we study the Word of God. Father, lead us. Lead our hearts and souls in this text. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Overwhelm us with your abundance. Overwhelm us as we give abundantly. Help us, Lord. Help us in this day and age. In this season that we stay in this day. So much concern over the finances. Help us to invest in you, in your ways, your principles, your purposes, knowing your protection. But Father, this day, may we see your perspective. Help us, Father. Help me to bow before your throne. Follow your precepts to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Verse 1 of chapter 16 of 1 Corinthians. Now concerning the collection for the saints, as I directed the churches of Galatia, so do you also. On the first day of every week, each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. When I arrive... Whomever you may approve, I will send them with letters to carry your gift to Jerusalem. And if it be fitting for me to go also, they will go with me. We are looking in a context that comes right out of the resurrection. And he's speaking of a collection that he's already told the Corinthians about. They are already aware of this. And yet this collection is the object of the heart of the Apostle Paul. It is for the needs, the physical needs of the poor saints in Jerusalem. An offering from the Gentile churches. He speaks of it in Galatia. He spoke of it in Macedonia. He spoke of it in Achaia. And now he is bringing it to the remembrance of the Corinthians. And he's trying to be specific and explain to them how to do it. They knew this, but they had some questions. They had some questions. And yet this text goes beyond that context because the offering was definitely specifically here's for the offering of the Jerusalem saints. That's what he says in verse one. But the statement is related to us and it was related to that situation. All right. Because in its context, it is a pattern that is to be taught. You and I principles for giving. Why do I give? How much do I give? Where do I give? To whom do I give? Who is to give? And as this text was for the Corinthians, this text is for you and I. I, I, Boy, I tell you what, some of you get bugged when fingernails on a chalkboard. That bugs me. You know, I'm one of those that don't bother me for whatever goofy reason. It just doesn't have it. But when I watch people take parts of Scripture and say that that was a cultural, that was for a situation, that's my fingernails on the chalkboard. All right? If he didn't want me to know it, he wouldn't have given it to me. And when a person says, well, that was dealing with... Okay? 
And then after I get my composure back, I'll beat them silly. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> in love. Okay? Listen, he didn't write it down and give it to me and protect it for all these centuries because, well, you know, you don't really need to worry about that. Really? It's just like I was thinking about the resurrection text. And he says, a first, mo- first importance, he reminds the Corinthians, of what? The resurrection. And I watch what we do with the resurrection this, these, this day and age. And I'm, there's no importance in the resurrection. We're more worried about Santa Claus. Don't we? We put a greater... You know, our whole economy is based on Christmas. Well, let me tell you something. Your whole salvation is based on the resurrection. <laughs> he don't get out of the grave. It's going to be a long haul for every one of us. And, and I don't understand that. And yet you think about that kind of stuff. And then he rolls in here and concerning the collection for the saints. And then everybody glazes over. There goes the preacher again. He's talking about giving. No, God is talking about giving. Meet the needs of the poor. What does God say about the poor? And that's kind of what I'm looking at today. And I I eventually will end up in verse 4. Okay. But I'm going to take the long way there. Because I think what happens is that we miss this. I don't think that you and I pay attention to the perspective. Because the perspective, every time you think about giving, whose perspective are you basing it on? Yours. Okay? Have you ever thought about what God's perspective was? And then listen, this goes way beyond, you know, should I tithe? Should I what? Okay, I think we should all do as Zacchaeus. He only gave 50%. Okay, it's easier to count that way. Anyway, we've looked at the purposes, and the purposes were simple, right? It's for the saints. First priority on the on the calendar is what? The saints. And that's what we do in this fellowship. I have set a, a, a target, and I have set it early in my ministry, and I've been here 15 years as the senior pastor, 20 years hanging around. And I would like to see 50% of our budget go to missions. But the problem is... We have to be careful because there's all kind of people out there who want our money. All right. And so what we do and have been very diligent and blessed in is that the people that we invest to in quote unquote missions, we know them. We know what they do. And I like that idea. Okay. So, but when you think about it, I want you to think about it from this perspective. When you give... It has a twofold product to it. One is physical needs. I mean, let's be realistic. Um, Pastor Alexander lives on $300 a month. His whole family. Think he could do that? As long as I walked and didn't eat and didn't use lights, <laughs> I should be fine. Okay? But then it's also based on their spiritual needs. How will they hear if you don't send the preacher? Okay? But then, you know, that's, I, I kind of look at it. There are sojourners who will pass our, cross our paths who will be in need. Okay? But the f- first primary focus of the giving is what? The church, the family of God. The principles 
Or when, when, when do I give? Weekly. That's what it says. Every week. First day of every week. I give when? Weekly. It's a systematic stewardship. It holds me accountable to the things that God has given me. Okay? Where do I give? To the treasury. Where is that? It's the church. Who is to give? I like that one. No one is exempt. If you have something, you give. Well, I don't have anything. Really? Are you kidding me? Listen, it is giving because of the loving heart that God has poured into you, Romans 5 says. Giving should be a joyous response to God. That's what it should be. I watch people that are giving and you would think that they're getting their wisdom teeth pulled. I got to give. Why? Because he said so. Okay. You know what? I didn't say so. The word of God said so. And if that offends you, you have a bigger problem than giving. Okay. Because you haven't read chapter 15. I'm just passing through this thing and I'm trying to get shed this carcass as quick as I can. A, a response to a God who has given us everything. How much am I, is, am I to give as he has prospered you? Okay. When I think about giving to God, I think about I'm investing with God. Now, how safe is that? I, in the day and age of uh, of what the craziness that you see in the news of, of people and billions and trillions of dollars being just thrown away and everybody going, well, oh, where's that? How do you lose a trillion dollars? I mean, somewhere there ought to be a pile of money that somebody ought to fall over and break their neck and sue you for two trillion. First, Second Corinthians says, if I sow sparingly, I will reap sparingly listen if it, the bible is very adamant that if you aren't guarded and a steward with the temporals if you don't do it as the joy to the lord you will never get the eternals to deal with you know why i believe that many people do not reach lost for christ money has mastered them it is called coveting it is called coveting. I want the things of this world. But if I sow bountifully, I will reap bountifully. You know, how much is the how much am I to give? Well, you know what? The widow gave everything. She gave 100%. Zacchaeus gave 50%. I say if it isn't sacrificial, don't give it. Give sacrificial. That's what King David said. I will not give to the Lord if it does not cost me nothing. And I see a lot of people who do it that way. How, why am I to give it? The reason to give is that it's not to be emotional. If I do it every week, and it becomes a flow of my life. It isn't even a matter of, well, let's see, today's in and I've got this much time left in the month. No, I just give. Why? Look what he's given me. Why? Because there's protection in giving. That was verse 3. Why? You pick them. 
I'll send letters and I'll guard it. And, and that brings me to our perspective because when, when I look at this, we can look at it and we can be very analytical and say, well, I need to give this much or I need to look at this. You know, I was looking at my budget and my budget says, but you know what you just did? Whose perspective are you looking at giving? From you. From you. Okay, so what you just did in that move is that you took your faith off of God and you put your faith on you. Okay, and I don't know about you, but I've always had real bad luck on that one. When I put my trust in God, he has never let me down. Okay, but I think of a timer two million that I put my faith in me and just got burned. I know you guys probably do better. Okay. And so when I was thinking about this, I thought, what is the divine attitude toward the poor? Because that's what Paul is saying here. Collection of the saints is direct. As, as, I, as I have directed the church in Galatia, Paul had a, a plan for this. All right. So I decided that I would do a little Bible study. And this is my conclusions. In the book of Exodus, chapter 20, verse 2, says this, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Okay, now ask yourself a question. How much wealth do slaves accumulate? Zero. Zero. See, God calls his people, he called his nation, and he called them out of a house of bondage. That text that I just give you there is the preamble to the Decalogue. You know what that is, the Ten Commandments. Why? He says, I want to know what you started with. Nothing. Okay. See, God sees himself as a liberating God, a freeing God. He frees us from bondage. He frees us from slavery. He frees us from poverty. He frees us from depression. He frees us from oppression. If you go on from there, you would go to the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 26, verse 5. You shall answer and say before the Lord your God, my father was a wandering Araman. And he went down to Egypt and he sojourned there. A few in number. But there he became a great and mighty and populous nation. How? In slavery. See, a few went down to Egypt. Right? Just a family. Twelve brothers. Okay? Dad. Right? And they came out a nation but you be honest with yourself that nation was born out of slavery okay 
Listen, when you think about slavery, I want you to think about poverty. I want you to think about oppression. I want you to think about you've got no rights. You are a tool. You are to be sold at any individual time that the owner wants to. Out of bondage, out of oppression, out of poverty, out of slavery. Out of a a group of people in desperate, desirous need. God redeemed a people. And if you're really honest, he always identifies with people in great distress. Let's be realistic. Now, I don't know about all of you, but most of us in this room, when we came to, to salvation, it was at a point of great distress. Why? God rips it all away and you say, I am nothing. And God says, got you right where I need you. Not me. He doesn't say you'll arrive. Come on now. Come on. What is sad about this? And everyone in this room is guilty of this. Israel was a nation born out of poverty, was born out of bondage, was born out of slavery. Right? You know what? If you're truly honest with yourself, you were born out of Poverty, slavery, and bondage, correct? But do you know what happened to Israel that has happened to many in this room? God came to Israel and had them, to use his terms, undone. He had them scattered. He had them destroyed. And do you know why? They were doing to the poor among their own people, exactly what the Egyptians had done to them. And you know what we do? Same thing. When you condemn a lost person, what's the difference between you and that lost person? God invaded your life and redeemed you. How dare you condemn that slave to sin? It's the same thing. And guess what? God has scattered. You know what God did? He brought the nation, put them into the promised land, blessed them beyond their understanding. You went through two kings, both King David and King Solomon, and they said there was never anyone more wealthy than King Solomon. But then something happened. The kingdom was divided into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, ten tribes... Southern Kingdom, two tribes, Judah. And in 722 B.C., the northern kingdom was scattered. Um, You can understand it and learn a little bit more about it in the book of Amos. Amos chapter 2, verses 6 through 8. Thus saith the Lord, Amos 2, 6 through 8. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Israel and for four, I will not revoke its punishment. Four transgressions, you're going to prison. Okay, four. Now he's talking about Israel here. So that's the ten northern tribes. All right. Because they sell the righteous for money and the needy for a pair of sandals. Number one. They were literally selling the poor so they'd get enough money to buy a pair of sandals. That was what was going on in the northern tribes. These who 
pant after the very dust of the earth on the head of the helpless. They were getting rich off the back of those who could not care for themselves. And they turn aside away of the humble and a man and his father resort to the same girl in order to profane my holy name. On garments they take as pledges, they stretch out beside every altar. And at the house of their God, they drink wine of those who have been fined. They were abusing the people. And God carried them away. Literally carried them away. They went to Assyrian captivity. And the Assyrians were some really seriously nasty people. In chapter 5 of Amos, verses 11 and 12, Therefore, because you impose heavy rent on the poor, the exact and exact a tribute of grain from them, and though you have built your houses of well-hewn stone, and you will not live in them. They were getting rich off the back of those who couldn't do any better. He says, you know what? You've made this fortune. You've made these fancy houses. You've done all this. Guess what? You won't even live in them. Guess what? They didn't. <laughs> Distress the righteous except brides and you turn aside the poor at the gate. There's the poor again. Okay, chapter 6, verses 4 through 7. Those who recline in the beds of ivory. That sounds uncomfortable, doesn't it? Anyway, those who recline on beds of ivory and sprawl on their couches and eat the lambs from the flock and the calves from the midst of the stall, who impoverish, uh, who improvise on the sound of the harp, and like David here, have composed songs for themselves who drink wine from sacrificial bowls because they anoint themselves with the finest oils, yet they have not grieved over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, they will now go into exile at the head of the exiles, and the sprawlers and banqueting will pass away. See, in case you haven't figured this out, God really desires that his people don't do this. Okay? When what had happened in the northern kingdom that will be classified as Israel. Okay? They were careless about the needy. Now they had a few other things. But they were careless about the needy. Now you need to be careful because he's not condemning the rich. What he's condemning is, how did they become rich? Okay, now then, do I need to hold up the daily newspaper to you? When God had established Israel, he said, here are some regulations that they had. One, at the end of the seventh year, you are to release all the slaves. From the time you purchase that slave, seven years later, you are to release that slave. Okay? They weren't doing it. You know another one that nobody pays attention to? It's a funny thing because everybody wants to, we're like Israel. You really want this one? At the end of every 50 years, okay, every piece of property returns to its original owner. You want to be like Israel? That's why we only have 30-year mortgages. <laughs> so you can own it for free for 20. 
Why? Here's the reason it's behind it, and I know that it seems abstract to us. Basically, God did not want that no one could stack it up. Okay? And God basically said, here's the laws that will prevent you from stacking it up. See, God maintained a close gap between the rich and the poor. And as we see Israel pile it up, they're ignoring the seven year. They're ignoring the 50 year. And they were doing what? I have a bed of ivory. I'm drinking out of sacrificial bowls. I am getting wine that I have taxed the person who presented me the wine. If, if you go back to Amos, or yeah, go to Amos chapter 7 verse 11. For thus, Amos says, Jeroboam will die by the sword and Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. See that? See, the king's the one who's driving the bus. He's in command. He's leading this. He's showing everybody how to do it. And guess what happened to Jeroboam? Cut his head off and hung his carcass up on his palace walls. But they did it inverted, so... The Assyrians were just some pleasant people. Chapter 7, verse 17 says, Therefore, thus says the Lord, your... Now listen, this is what God is saying to the ten northern tribes. And listen to this very closely. Why? Well, because of what you did to the poor. Here's what will happen. Your wife will become a harlot in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be parceled up among by a measuring line. And you yourselves will die upon unclean soil. Moreover, Israel will certainly go from its land into exile. Okay? And guess what? Israel went right back into captivity, into poverty, into slavery, into bondage, into need. Why? Because they had done exactly what the Egyptians had done to them. And they did it to their own people. The southern kingdom, Judah and Benjamin, they're a little slower. Okay, uh, if you're true to, to the text, you'll find out that the Israel, the northern kingdom, was evil. Okay, Judah and Benjamin were evil, but they had a mixture of righteousness in there. Slowed it down about 150 years. Okay, but if you go to Isaiah chapter 10... A hundred years before Judah and Benjamin go into Babylonian captivity, Isaiah is sent by God to tell them, don't follow your brothers. Okay, here's what he says. Woe to those who enact evil statutes. Woe to those who are constantly record unjust decisions so as to deprive the needy of justice and rob the poor of my people of their rights so that the widows may be their spoil and that they may plunder the orphans. You know what he's saying, right? 
you're doing this, but I'm going to warn you, stop it. Stop it. Verses 3 and 4 of 10 of Isaiah says, Now, what will you do in the day of punishment and in the devastation which will come from afar? To whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the captives or fall among the slain. In spite of all of this, his anger does not turn away and his hand is still stretched out. Okay, guess what? 586 B.C., It came about. Southern kingdom was made captive for oppressing the poor. Okay? They were doing the very thing they had been freed of. Okay? If you kind of want to see the sum of this little stretch of history, I would sum it up in Jeremiah. Jeremiah was there in Judah when the Babylonians came. Okay. But you have Isaiah a hundred years before Jeremiah and they had a hundred year warning. And then when the Babylonians started massing on the border, Jeremiah came and said, duck. Okay. This is the same text that I, I gave to you guys on Wednesday night. Same area. Remember, stop praying for this people. God told Jeremiah, quit praying for the salvation of this people. You know what that is, right? Judgment. When God says, don't pray for them, you know what that means, right? Oh, by the way, did you see? I won't hear you. Hmm. Because people say, well, is there any prayer that God doesn't hear? Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. Yeah. Jeremiah had one, a couple of them that he was crying for salvation. Anyway, here's the sum of it, I think, in in 34 of Jeremiah uh, 17. Therefore, thus says the Lord, you have not obeyed me in proclaiming, release each man to his brother and each man to his neighbor. Behold, I am proclaiming a release to you, declares the Lord. I will release you to the sword, to pestilence, and to famine. I will make you a terror of all the kingdoms of earth. Fascinating, isn't it? See, here's what is interesting about this. They don't know God. They still haven't got this thing figured out. But the nation Israel did learn its lesson. Okay? Today, Israel doesn't know God. All right? They're clueless. But you know what? They have learned their lesson because they will not oppress the poor in Israel. Not only that, they provide for them. One of the best social structures you will ever see on the planet Earth. And if you're Israeli, you can come from a distant country and you will be welcomed with open arms and they will care for you until you're established and they don't care how long it takes. You can come from Russia. You can come from Ethiopia. You can come from Brooklyn. Isn't that a foreign country? (laughs) In Psalms 146, verse 5. 
How blessed is he whose help is in the God of Jacob, whose hope is in the Lord his God. And see, Israel took that to heart after several captivities. Right? Because if you go on over in the book of Proverbs, Proverbs 14, verse 31 says this, He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker. Then think about that for a second. Just a little, kind of go through your head and see what you think about it. He who oppresses the poor taunts his maker, but he who is gracious to the needy honors him. Chapter 19 of the book of Proverbs, verse 17 says this, 1917, one who is gracious to the poor man lends to the Lord. Oh, how does God get the money to the poor? I'll just let you ponder it. And he will repay him for his good deed. Who will repay? God will. So you give unto God, He takes care of the needy. Or you can mock God. Take your pick. In Luke chapter 4, that's Old Testament. Do you kind of see a perspective here of God's? Right? Of what he's kind of focusing on? Luke chapter 4, Jesus, beginning his ministry, states this. Chapter 4, verse 18 says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Did you get that? The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. And I see people saying, Why won't the Spirit of the Lord is upon me? Be upon me. Come on. Because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. The release of the captives and the recovery of sight to the blind and set free those who are oppressed. See, his heart hasn't changed. Jesus is beginning his ministry. Um, a text that I think we overlook at times that we really shouldn't uh, comes out of the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 25. Um, you know this story. Many have heard this story. Many know this story. But I want you to hear it afresh now, looking at God's perspective. All right? Here's the story, beginning in verse 31. The Son of Man comes in His glory. This is the future. And all the angels with Him, He will sit on His glorious throne. And all the nations will be gathered before Him. And He will separate them. One from another, as a shepherd, separates his sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right hand. He will put the goats on his left hand. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared to you from the foundations of the world. Amen. For I was hungry... And you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him. Lord, 
When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least, you did it to me. Those on his left, depart, accursed ones, to eternal fire, which has been prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick, and in prison, and you did not visit me. Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, and did not care for you? Then he will answer them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. Do you understand, brothers and sisters, what is being stated here? The judgments of the nations, eternal damnation and eternal salvation are based on what? Whatever you did to the least of these. But it's on grace. Absolutely. If you've been given grace, then what is it? Unmerited favor, in an abundance beyond what you could ever dream necessary. Therefore, if you have that grace, what are you to do with it? Spread it out. That's what he's being said here. So do you yet see the perspective of God's heart in giving? When I see people say, well, I just don't think that this is fine. Fine. You tell him that when you see him. Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, the Lord himself says, The foxes have holes, the birds have nests, the Son of Man doesn't even have a place to lay his head. Do you understand that when God came incarnate, he never owned a home? He had a borrowed place. He hung out with Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. But most of the time, he slept on a hillside. The only thing that Jesus Christ, God incarnate, ever owned was a cloak, and they gambled for it as they murdered him. Do you see his perspective? When God is doing special things, he loves, absolutely loves, using absolute nobodies. Mary and Joseph, they were so poor that for her cleansing sacrifice, they had to use pigeons. That is the lowest line. I don't, that's his parents. They're the ones who will care for him. I think about, uh, you know, I, I was just, yeah, this is good, this is good. <laughs> um, I just thought about this. We always think about King David, right? 
He was the youngest of the brothers. And he was, you know what he did for a living? He's a sheep herder. I mean, let's be realistic. We don't have a high view of sheep herders today. It was less then. Right? But do you know who picked David? Samuel. Does anybody know where Samuel came from? A barren woman who couldn't have children. Do you know what that meant in that society? You were worse than useless. It was obvious God had something against you. And yet there's this woman, Hannah, and she prayed, 1 Samuel chapter 2, and she said, My heart exalts the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth speaks boldly against my, my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one beside you, nor is there any rock like our God. Boast no more so very proudly. Do not let arrogance come from your mouth. Let the Lord your God of knowledge. Let his actions be weighed. The bows of his mighties be shattered and the feeble gird for strength. Those who are full of are full, hire themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry cease to hunger. Even the barren gives birth to seven, but she who has many children languishes. The Lord kills and makes alive. He brings down to Sheol and He raises up. The Lord makes poor and rich. He brings low. He also exalts. He raises the poor from the dust. He lifts the needies from the ash heap and he makes them set as nobles and inherit a seat of honor for the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and he sets the world on them. That's Hannah saying, you know what? He's got this thing figured out. I'm sure of it. When he wanted a nation, where did he go? group of slaves. When he went to a king, he used a woman who could have no children to be the forerunner to go and anoint the king. I can go on and 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 I can go on over and over and over and over. On what? I mean, he, he wants to start his church. He goes and gets 12 yahoos. Were they rich and famous? When God says, I shall be incarnate among men and women, I will come into my palace and be birthed? No, a manger. Who were the first ones to know he was there? Well, it was the Magi. No, it wasn't. Shepherds. The scum buckets of the earth. When he goes and reveals himself as Messiah, who is it first to? A half-breed harlot. And Paul's already told the Corinthians through the foolishness of preaching. I will overturn the strong by the weak. I will overthrow wisdom by the foolishness of preaching. Plain old nobodies. Poor, needy. 
You know what's amazing? He takes the poor and the needy, the worthless, the despised, the distasteful, and he, all he does is make them king priests. That's it. See, in God's church, he wants you and I to keep that perspective. Listen, I, I want to give you a little footnote to think about this for a second because I don't want you to get too crazy on me and, and say, well, you know, this is... Okay, God's had rich saints. Job, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, David, Solomon, Joseph of Arimathea, Barnabas, Cornelius, Dorcas. I mean, there's a few others. Okay, but there is something that he does bring to your attention. In James, the letter James, chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, he says this, My brethren, do not hold your faith in, a, in our glorious Lord Jesus with an attitude of special favoritism. For if a man comes to you, to your assembly, with golden ring, a golden ring and dressed in fine clothes, and there also comes a poor man in dirty clothes, you pay special attention to the one who is wearing the fine clothes. You sit here in the good place and you say to the poor man you stand over there or sit out at my footstool do not make distinctions for yourself um, James chapter 5 I, there's more you can go to James 2, 5 and 8 but James chapter 5 uh, verses 1 through 3 he says this come now you rich, weep and howl for your mis miseries which are coming upon you. For your riches have rotted and your garments have made uh, become moth-eaten. Your gold and your silver have rusted and their rust will be, like, be a witness against you. And they will consume your flesh like fire. In these last days you have stored up this treasure. So we're warned. Uh, you can go over to Timothy, 1 Timothy Chapter 6, verse 17 says this, Instruct those who are rich. you get that? It's funny, he never says instruct those who are poor. Instruct those who are rich in this present world not to be conceited or to fix their hope in the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies us all things to enjoy. I think about... You think about Jehoiakim. Okay? Jeremiah went forward right in front of him and says, you're going to be dead. Why? Because you have made your riches based on the backs of the poor. I guess if you were truly a critiquer of sermons, then you would realize I just got done with the introduction. Chapter 16, verse 4, If it is fitting for me to go also, I will go with me. They will go with me. What the heck does that got to do? You know, it's kind of a funny statement, actually. And it, without getting into the syntax and how it's all laid out, um, he's basically saying, be generous. And if you're generous enough, I will go and escort that sum of money with whoever you choose to go. You know, I kind of look at it from this perspective. I don't want to take a big old long trip to Jerusalem just for a little bit. Now, you guys might be saying, well, Terry, how are you getting that out of that text? Because it says there in verse 3, to carry your gift to Jerusalem. The word gift there is an amazing word. You know what it is? You know how you normally 
Translated, grace. It's charis. It's grace. Your grace, your overabundance of your generosity to Jerusalem. And if it's a large enough sum, I'd be willing to escort it. But you got to understand something. Jerusalem sent Paul out to do what? Preach the gospel and don't forget the poor in Jerusalem. Right? We already looked at that in de- detail. So you know what? If you ain't got a lot of money, then I need to keep going out here beating the bushes to get more for those poor saints in Jerusalem. So it says, if it's fitting for me to go also, I will go. With, they will go with me. Meaning that if your grace is big enough, then we'll do it. When you give, he says, make sure you're giving graciously. Same word you see on grace, you have been saved. Make sure you're giving generously. So we have so much. See, God so identifies with those who have need. The money comes that the money comes. We have to give to those to meet their physical needs and their spiritual needs. And to support those who minister to us who have no other support. See, if you want to be abundant, then you have to scatter it. And I'll be honest with you, that don't fit right now, does it? But the reason that it doesn't fit right now is look at who we normally invest with and who we should be investing with. See, there should be a new sense of responsibility to those who don't have but and to those who have maybe less. You and I are responsible for them. For what you have done to the... Least of these brethren, you have done to to me. See, I I want you to think about God's perspective, and I can kind of summarize it this way. First and foremost, we can't do less than give. Okay? And if you look at it from God's perspective, God made the Son... What does it do? It gives, doesn't it? God give the, made the moon. What does it do? It gives. He, God made the stars. What do they do? They give. Did you know that God made the air and it gives? God made the clouds and they give. God made the trees and they make bats. No, they give. God gave the earth. It gives. God made the seas. They give. God makes the flowers. Guess what? They give. He makes all of the beasts. Guess what? They give. God made man. Does he give? Not always. 
I hope and my prayer for this congregation is that it may be said of us what the Lord said. Okay, here's what he said. When you give, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Do it in secret and let God openly reward you. I have a quote here that I'd like to share with you. He was an Athenian statesman, um, Aristides. And he wrote this in the second century, living among Christians. Here's what he wrote, and I quote. They walk in humility and in, in kindness, and falsehood is not found among them. And they love one another. They despise not the widow, and they grieve not the orphan. He that hath distributes liberally to him who hath not. If they see a stranger, they bring him under their roof, and they rejoice over him as if he were a brother. For they call themselves brethren, not after the flesh, but after the spirit and in God. But when one of these poor passes away from the world and any of them see him, then he provides for his burial according to his ability. And if they hear of any of their number in a prison or oppressed for the name of their Messiah, all of them provide for his needs. And if it possible that he may be delivered, they will pay to have him delivered. And if there is among them a man that is poor and needy and they have not an abundance of necessity, they will fast two or three days that they may supply the necessary food for the brother. Fascinating, don't you think? You know what's amazing about that text? I don't think anything has changed. Would you give up some of your food so that someone else could eat? Listen, what has God said to you? I know what the scripture says. I would challenge let each of us individually take this and apply it. 1 John chapter 3, verse 17 says, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds, um, his brother is in need, and he closes his heart against him. How does the love of God abide in him? There we have it. When you think about giving, you better be looking at God's perspective on giving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and thank you that you your heart your passion is for the nobodies and you will take the nobodies and make them princes father that still overwhelms me father we in this room have such an abundance 
Help us to see your perspective, to see your way, to see your purposes. And Father, may this principles that we have seen on giving, may it become the flow of our lives until that day our faith becomes sight. To your glory, to your praise, in Christ's name, amen.